Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Did you know that abortion causes breast cancer? It's interesting. Countries with the most permissive abortion laws often have the highest breast cancer rates. I'll talk about that in just a moment. A dad wrote to me about his daughter playing sports. In other words, that she isn't. And he was sharing what's happening in our Christian Catholic schools when boys want to be in girls' locker rooms. Because that's allowed today. We'll talk about transgender identifying people in sports. We'll also talk about how do you approach the struggle of gender ideology with your peers. Did you know that the church has excellent teaching about the unity of body and soul? Do you know what the church teaches? Because this is all about our personal identity. So let's dive in some important hot topics. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is why I wanted to touch on the link between abortion and breast cancer. I will never, ever forget I was about 15 when I learned about the connection between breast cancer and abortion, and my jaw dropped. I was at a National Bioethics Conference in Washington, D.C., and a presentation was given by Dr. Angela Lamfranchi, who is a breast cancer surgical oncologist, and she was the co-director of the Steelcase Cancer Center in New Jersey. Now, Dr. Angela Lamfranchi began her presentation that day sharing about her career and how in her career up to that date, she had cut off the breasts of over 10,000 women just in the New Jersey area where she's worked and lived. That day she said this, and I'll never forget it. I wrote it down and I have thought about it frequently. She said, if men were at risk of having their testicles cut off at the same rate women have their breasts cut off, men would never in a million years do anything that poses such risk of having their testicles cut off. It was a jaw-dropping opening statement to hear. And she goes on with tears in her eyes. I will never forget this presentation. With tears in her eyes. And this is a woman who, again, was the oncologist and co-director for the Steeple Case Cancer Center in New Jersey. With tears in her eyes, she goes on to share how and why this makes her so upset. She shared that women are not warned as to some of the major and leading causes of breast cancer in society today. Two of which she focused on were abortion and contraception. For today's conversation, we'll focus on abortion. Because I want you to understand the science and data and why when people say that's a lie, that's absolutely not true. Causes that significantly, significantly increase breast cancer and that could be avoidable for women are abortion. It's abortion. Ultimately, it's up to women to determine whether or not they want to risk breast cancer. But the problem is is that women don't know. Women are not being told about the outrageous and strong connection between abortion and breast cancer. Now, Dr. Lamfranchi developed 
an incredible amount of work and literature on this topic. There's tons of peer-reviewed data internationally on the connection between abortion and breast cancer. We've known these this for decades upon decades, but I want you to be equipped with the factual information about how abortion causes breast cancer because it's actually really, really simple and it makes sense when you hear it. But what's interesting to me is that the pro-abortion movement denies this claim. They reject this claim. And it's interesting because when I've been in front of the abortion clinic, one of the leading topics that, interestingly, when I've trained young people to sidewalk counsel that they really like to focus in on is that, did you know you as a woman, if you have an abortion, you're at high risk for breast cancer? And I'm always so proud of the young people I have the opportunity to work with who are learning how to sidewalk counsel. But it's interesting to me because they choose key talking points that are very factual, science-centered, and show that they care about women and the lives of women. Because don't we, as a society, abort children in the name of progress, career, opportunities, trying to give children supposedly a better life that we think we can't give them. And so therefore, based on circumstances, we choose to kill babies because we think that different circumstances would be better. But wouldn't the best circumstance also be that you keep your life as well? Abortion is dangerous for many and numerous reasons, but one of the leading reasons breast cancer is so dangerous, or sorry, abortion is so dangerous, is because it causes breast cancer. And this is the little known secret, which is always so upsetting to me during Breast Cancer Awareness Month because Susan B. Coleman and others who are promoting, hey, breast cancer awareness, know about it, support Planned Parenthood and support the pro-abortion movement and often have stances in favor of abortion. But they're supporting the very thing that gives them business. And I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. That's okay, but I think we need to know the facts that the truth is that women are being lied to and they are not engaging in informed consent when it comes to abortion. So let's talk about the data and science. And if you're just joining me, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio, and we're talking about the staggering connection between abortion and breast cancer. So Dr. Angela Franchi and others have really been incredible mentors over the years in sharing data and information about the scientific side of the medical impact of abortion on women. And I've had the opportunity to collaborate with them and learn from them. And Dr. Franchi explains this so clearly. So basically, breast tissue develops during pregnancy. There's a reason why a woman's chest often increases in size during pregnancy, because the chest is preparing to nurse a baby. The chest is going through the whole body through radical changes. And abortion stops that development that's occurring, basically leaving the body with extremely cancer-vulnerable tissues that were not there in as high quantities prior to the pregnancy. So, Type 1 and 2 lobules are the type of breast tissue that a woman has in her chest. They are extremely cancer-vulnerable. Type 3 and 4 lobules are the breast tissues that are cancer-resistant. Induced abortion of the child stops the lobules from developing where they're at, leaving high levels of type 1 and type 2 cancer-vulnerable lobules. It's actually pretty incredible. A mother gives her child life, and that child, through the development of the child, helps a woman in becoming resistant to cancer to breast cancer specifically, not just breast cancer, actually other forms of cancer as well, which is incredible conversation that we should have on another day, how having children 
helps in building resilience and protection from cancer in many areas of a woman's body, but in particular in the breast. So abortion usually takes place within the first trimester. And this is when the breast tissue has the highest levels of type 1 and 2 cancer vulnerable lobules. And what happens is normally through the progression of the pregnancy, especially at the very end, those transition into th type 3 and 4 lobules that are cancer resistant as the tissue, as the chest prepares for nursing. Now, induced abortion of the child stops the lobules from developing where they're at, leaving high levels of type 1 and type 2 cancer vulnerable cells. Now, here's a side note. If you're saying, Tim Ray, I don't believe this. I've heard the pro-abortion movement and tons of people reject this for years. Well, the peer-reviewed data is there. The science is there. You actually don't even have to look at a study having to do with abortion and breast cancer. You can look at simple studies having to do with premature birth even. For example, premature births or abortions prior to 32 weeks more than double the risk of breast cancer for a woman. You can object to this claim of the abortion breast cancer link because the data is clear even with premature births. If a woman gives birth early, that unfortunately leaves her body more vulnerable to having breast cancer because those are cancer vulnerable cells. Now that we've established this understanding of the abortion breast cancer link, I think it's important that we see the correlation between breast cancer rates and legalized abortion worldwide. Here's the fact. Breast cancer rates worldwide speak for themselves in showing the link between abortion and breast cancer. But society, specifically women, are not warned. Breast cancer rates are significantly lower, actually, in countries where abortion is illegal. But let's just look at the rise. You can look at the stats. It's staggering to see the rise in hormonal birth control and abortion and the connection with the rise in breast cancer. Not just breast cancer, but other forms of cancer as well. Women are not being warned of the increased risk of breast cancer if they have an abortion. And even just looking at the countries with the highest rates of breast cancer, they actually correlate with some of the more permissive and pro-abortion cultures, such as the Netherlands, France, the United States, Denmark, all areas that are very pro-abortion in their culture, the West, in many respects. Now, it's interesting because doctors are not giving women informed consent. And this is one of those topics that I think that if we were really to push forward greater laws uh, that might be a little more neutral, it could be on the area of informed consent. Women don't know. Now, they can sign papers that have some level of informed consent and move along. Just like a woman does receive the insert to her con hormonal contraception but doesn't read it. And in there, listed among other things are actually the risk to actually have breast cancer. It's astounding that we just don't know and aren't informed as women. So I hope that in the midst of Breast Cancer Awareness Month that you will use this information both as beneficial for defending life, but understanding the importance of defending women's lives as well, because women are dying as a result of abortion, but no one points to that as a cause because our medical and political system stands against abortion being listed as a cause of death for women. Now, women are not able to f fully consent today, and I think that's one of my major concerns about this abortion breast cancer link, is that it gives us the opportunity to have a greater conversation with people who disagree with us on abortion. So I challenge you to make sure your loved ones are aware of this risk, because I know that none of us want to see our loved ones battling breast cancer. And all of us would love to know those things that could be risk factors. Also, those things that might help a loved one who's considering an abortion. 
to not just consider their baby, but also to consider their own body and the impact that abortion has among many other negative lifelong consequences. The media and abortion providers aren't informing women. They claim this is a lie. In fact, I've had, I've been completely deleted on YouTube. My full account, thousands upon thousands of episodes of trending. And you want to know the leading cause as to why they banned me on YouTube? For medical misinformation. Whenever I talk about breast cancer and its connection to abortion or contraception, boom. And guess what? My my YouTube is completely gone. And that's sad because that means the media does not want women to know the truth or people working in the media have been convinced and lied to and indoctrinated that abortion and contraception have no negative impact on women. Ask women who have been on contraception. They know the truth. They might still choose to take it, but countless women who have ditched the pill know the damage that is being done to their body. So I challenge you to use Breast Cancer Awareness Month as an opportunity to maybe talk, this is your real challenge, to talk to someone who's perhaps neutral on the issue of abortion, says, I personally wouldn't have an abortion, but if someone else wants to, I'm fine. Talk to them about the abortion breast cancer link, also known as the ABC link. Also, talk to them about informed consent. Even people who maybe disagree with you on abortion. I think this is a leading talking point. And the bottom line is we need to talk about how abortion is bad for women. And we don't do that enough. I think is this is the leading argument that we need to use in our culture today. Because what's scary is that the pro-abortion mindset knows that abortion kills a baby. But they think of that as necessary. A necessary evil. So let's continue to champion the lives of innocent babies in the womb. But let's also make sure we're appealing to the fact that women's lives are being damaged psychologically, emotionally, physically by abortion and potentially even lethally through the connection to breast cancer, among other medical health consequences. So I'm including some of the data in the episode notes. If you're saying, hey, someone's going to object, I'm leaving five resources that I could include. I have a whole library of books. I think I have three or four books, peer-reviewed medical data on the abortion breast cancer link as well that I didn't even incorporate into these citations. But I wanted to throw these out there because I often hear from people, even when I was speaking at an event a few weeks ago here in Southern California, someone said, I love everything you say, One of the challenges I find is that people often throw a lot of scientific data and facts at me, and I feel stumped sometimes by that. And I said, well, the bottom line is, is that the research is out there, and we can often debunk the research that disagrees with us. And I don't say that because, oh, I disagree with your research. But if you actually look into the data, you look at the data samples, you look at the questions that were being asked, often incorrect conclusions are being drawn from ambiguous questions. In fact, often a lot of data having to do with maybe a a pro-abortion favor or pro-transgender favor, if you read the data, actually gives a lot of information and might I say even leverage for the pro-life or the pro-male-female movement because of the information that's there in the study that's not being covered. So there's some information and links there for you. Be sure to always check out the episode notes for trending, relevantradio.com. Where you can go to the trending page, listen to episodes, and we're also wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. A dad recently wrote to me about his daughter playing sports and what's happening even in our Catholic and Christian schools when boys want to be in girls' locker rooms, because that's what's happening. No matter how people might say this is about boys playing sports or girls playing sports, at the end of the day, it's about 
boys wanting to be in girls' locker rooms because otherwise this would not continue to be a debate. So we'll talk about that in a moment. If you have faced in your own life a challenge with a transgender front, I'd love to hear from you. If you have a question on this, we're going to be talking about the Catholic Church's teaching on the union between body and soul. So our toll-free line, if you'd like to call, is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. I'll be right back here on Trending. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Have you ever looked at the Catholic Church's teaching on body and soul? What the body and soul are, the union of the body and soul? It's relevant to what's happening in our culture right now with the debate over identity. An ideology that is radically being shown. And if you maybe are struggling with gender dysphoria, transgenderism, we're going to talk, touch on that a little bit today of what what the church is calling you to. But we're going to dive into that even deeper on Thursday with licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro because it's an important topic. And if you don't have a loved one who's struggling with transgenderism, it's important we recognize that people in the church have loved ones, and often people in the church are struggling themselves. And we don't want to ignore this topic as a them versus us. We disagree on the topic of gender. We want to look at this from a Catholic perspective and have real answers and real solutions to this. And a dad recently wrote to me about what's happening on sports teams. So before we dive into the church's teaching, I want to touch on what's happening day to day and how this is being lived out for kids, especially in terms of policy. But before I do that, I have Adriana in Southern California on the line. Adriana, share with me your experience of what's happening. Any questions you might have? Yes, uh, Timree, thank you for taking my call. I have a family member on the husband's side whose son has began the transition to a girl. He's about 15 or so, and I have a really good relationship with his mom. And I don't know, I'd like your, I would like your advice on how to address it from a loving point of view, of course, but also firm on my belief on how I believe that is not right. Mm -hmm. But I want to come, I don't want to be rude. I want to be loving, caring, and compassionate. Yes. And I wanted to know what your thoughts are. Yes, our conversation, Adriana, today is going to be very helpful for to you, for you. But some concrete things that I think steps in terms of your relationship with the mom of this young boy who wants to identify as a girl. Is that correct? Yes, and I'm not comfortable addressing him as a girl. Yeah, yeah, and he's 15 years old. This is very common right now to identify as transgender, and I think that that's. I think that's a starting place for conversation with mom. Like, hey, I know this is a common trend right now. And maybe starting to pose it as that. This is a common trend. And there are some book resources. Abigail Schreer's book on the transgender craze is helpful. She touches more so on groups of girls coming out as transgender. But it touches overall on the transgender challenge. You might consider talking to her about that book or you yourself buying that book and reading through it. I think it would be really helpful. And I'm going to link in the episode notes to some episodes that would be really helpful for talking about this issue where we cover cover some of Abigail Schreer's work and others. But I would start by recognizing this and talking to to your to the mother of this young boy um with regard to like i know this is a trend 
I'm so sorry you're experiencing this. Like empathy, empathy is so important so that she understands you are there, you're with her, you're alongside her, you love her son and you want to be a resource. And so I would really encourage you to, to use the Socratic method with her of asking questions. Why do you think he's identifying as transgender because the why is key a lot of the times parents have a reason as to why they think it's happening and if they don't have a why they've not asked themselves why like what do you think is really going on so start with the trend start with asking why do you think this is happening what are you thinking about doing about this who are you thinking about turning to who is he spending time around? Start to ask those questions that point to people he might be around who are having negative influence. Maybe it'll help you to get ahead of who she's thinking about reaching out to for help so that you can help direct the resources. You can start to reach out to, you know, what is this manifesting itself as? You know, is this does this mean he wants to be called by a girl's name? Dress like a girl? Is he ha asking for puberty blockers? Because she may have the approach of, She's okay with some things, but not everything. And you need to affirm her and what she is not comfortable with doing and then assist her side by side with what she is considering doing. And that I'm not telling you to agree with it, but to ask her questions respectfully and lovingly on that. Now, you don't want her to feel backed into a corner or backed up against the wall as you're asking questions because she might not have even asked them of herself. And her back is already against the wall with regard to her child identifying in this way. Because no parent, no parent actually wants their kid to transition. What I think parents want is parents actually just want their kids to be happy. And so through asking these questions, you need to help in coming alongside her to get true resources and get to the truth. So that book I mentioned is Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. That's one great resource. Again, it comes at it from the perspective of females. I'm also going to link to another resource um, by Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, and it's how a parent's guide to preventing homosexuality. Now, I know that the transgender topic and the homosexual topic are two separate things, but I think a parent's guide to preventing homosexuality is a leading resource for addressing the transgender element because at the end of the day, it's a gender dysphoria. And same-sex attraction often is gender dysphoria as well. And so it's all about helping to solidify that identity and touches on key areas that lead to uh, disorientation with regard to that male identity. And so with that, I would recommend, hey, have you heard of some of these kids who have gone through transition in their teen years and are detransitioning? So we're going to link to a handful of episodes here on Trending where we've actually talked to some of the young men who have been through this. So Abel Garcia is one story. He transitioned uh, in his teen years. And another one that's very helpful is Ollie London. So we're going to get links to these episodes in the show notes for today's show. So be sure to go back and listen to this podcast. Grab the notes where all of these resources will be relevantradio.com. Just go to the trending page or wherever you catch your podcasts. So a couple more things, Adriana, to put in your tool belt when talking to your family member who is the parent of this young boy who's 15 and struggling, I always encourage parents right now the wait and see approach. And this is a really safe, neutral ground, especially if they are maybe already in favor of a transgender agenda. The studies are really clear. 90%, 9 out of 10 kids who identify as transgender 
if they are not ushered into a transgender identity, end up working it out on their own. But that means that they cannot be around peers who are pushing them to identify as transgender. And I think that's really key. And so saying, hey, why don't you spend the next year or two, be careful with what resources your kids are exposed to, um, what people, especially in the school systems, your kids are exposed to, especially online with social media, and wait and see. Because I've seen a lot of data point to 90% of kids work this out on their own and you don't have to do anything about it. And so that can sometimes be empowering, especially to parents, especially mom, because I know you're friends with mom here. So you know, I don't have to do something about this. Let's wait and see. And I think it's important if we look at international data and we've done some episodes on this. I'll also have my producers link to this episode as well, um, where we have seen the data that other countries, even the countries, um, out in the Netherlands and others that have been on the forefront of transition for children have actually paused transitioning minors because they're seeing the negative consequences. And so the approach is to wait and see, but the United States is the most permissive and that we don't have a law, a lot of laws in place yet as to how to handle this. So doctors and teachers and adults are going rogue on how to handle transition and they're just moving into full-on medical transition with puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and other things. Another key takeaway, Adriana, that I think would be helpful, I say with that wait and pause approach, you don't want to do any, you know, say you might want to consider waiting because your son's still going through puberty, and boy, is that a difficult phase to go through. Boys need a lot of, you know, male mentorship and guidance as their voice, their bodies are changing, and puberty is a process. Wouldn't it be safe to just wait through that process and make sure nothing is emotionally impacting your child while puberty is already such an emotionally vulnerable time for boys, especially impacting their confidence? Boys really struggle with confidence during puberty, so I think that's a key area. So I know that's a lot, Adriana, but what are your thoughts? How else can I help you in terms of helping equip you to talk to your family member about her son? I think this is really good. I appreciate all the links you're going to be putting up. I will definitely go back and I want to get that book because like I said, I really have a good relationship with her and I want to be kind and I want to be loving, of course, because it's not about her son. It's just about him trying to yes. be something he isn't. And um, I think this is the most, um, the best way to approach it because I wouldn't want to lose the relationship with her. But I also want to make it clear that where where I stand and I apologize for my little one in the background (laughs) oh it's a joy to hear I've got my little ones too Adriana you're important to your little ones Uh, Adriana this is great I'm going to be praying for you I think that the fact that you're willing to come alongside your family member and support her in with truth is powerful we're going to talk about that today how important it is to come out with truth as we are accompanying people on this transgender front because we have friends and family who are struggling and we need to be able to be a resource to them when the rest of the culture is saying transition go especially in states like california and others so adriana i'm praying for you if you have any questions or want to update us on how this young man's doing please don't hesitate to let us know and we will be praying for him if you want to share a name feel free to with my producer and we'll be praying for him behind the scenes here at relevant radio um but please know that we're praying for you we're praying for the mom and this little young man and you've got this god equips us and i will just say my last thought adriana is when counseling people in true crisis situations such as these, 
Rely on the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, open the door for this conversation. I really feel inspired to share X information, but please open the door for that to be shared. I know this might be my agenda, but please help me to follow your agenda in sharing the truth and God's love and God's mercy. And we're going to touch both today and on Thursday with a licensed marriage and family therapist on that issue. So maybe if you have any conversations between then and now, Adriana, we're happy to help with answering more of those questions with Michael Gasparro, who will be our marriage and family resource here on Trending. He's a therapist and he is on the front line of working with people who are struggling with gender dysphoria so great question praying for you adriana and by the way if you're listening now are you joining me during our theology of the body series where i break down chapter by chapter the prophetic and inspiring work of pope saint john paul ii's theology of the body because i i chose to do this because it is so important and that it's prophetic speaking to what's happening in the culture with identity. It's not just a gender identity that's in crisis. That gender identity stemmed much earlier with this ambiguity with regard to what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, that we can neuter our bodies through abortion, contraception, even, <laughs> I say it fixing ourselves because it's kind of like animals, where we are engaging in sterilization that is so damaging for the body, by the way. It, it has major negative health consequences. And so the Theology of the Body series touches on what does it mean to be a human. What is our human anthropology and how that's rooted biblically in our Catholic faith since the dawn of creation. So the latest episode's out. Episode 12 will post it in the episode notes as well as on social media. Be sure to check that out. All of these resources are there online in the episode notes as well as on social media. So just follow me at Tim Marie. So I want to talk now about girls playing or boys playing girls sports, vice versa, both could be said, but we're seeing more predominantly that the boys are wanting to play with the girls. Now, Dan wrote me a message on Facebook this past week. He's a father of a young girl. He said, I just want to bring up the issue of boys identifying as girls and playing girls sports. He said, I'm in California and between the state law and the CIF, which is one of the sports authorities for high school students that allows boys to play with girls. He said, because of that, most Christian schools are not prepared or have not taken a stance on the issue of gender. And so what's happening is, and these are my words now, it's kind of a free-for-all in the school system. It's not just in California, but it's across the country. We don't really have laws in most states on the gender issue, and we'll get to that in a moment. And so it's almost as if schools are kind of going rogue. He said, I will not... I will not happen to just be here and allow a boy identifying as a girl to show up and play, um, show up in a girl's rooms. He's saying it, what's happening is boys are identifying as girls and they're showing up to play against your local high school girls teams. He said many California public schools are pushing this LGBTQ agenda and a lot of children are being deceived. So he's giving an example of what's happening. He says, a boy shows up on your campus identifying as a girl to play against your Catholic school volleyball team. He's able in most states to use the bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers. Your school's female athletes will be subject to this evil. It's true. He says, after possibly seeing this boy naked in the locker room, that is in the girls' locker room, they will see him with the opposing team in a girls' uniform waiting to play against them. He says, as a father, I would not allow my daughter to play. I would be very upset with the school for allowing this. So here's the deal. These are instances that are happening. Girls have no idea that these boys are going to be in their locker rooms stripping down 
It's one thing, and we could discuss if they were playing against boys occasionally on the girls' team. Not that we agree with this, but this goes so far beyond playing in a sport against someone who should be the same sex to give equal playing ground. Because let's be true, testosterone and sex differences impact every cell of the human body, from the way we think, the way we function, how the way we play sports, the very chisel of jaw, our jawline to our shoulders, our hips. It impacts everything. Men are outperform women any day when it comes to athletics. This is why Will Thomas, who calls himself Leah Thomas, was a nobody in terms of his ranking in swimming at Penn State. What happens? <laughs> well, he suddenly starts competing as a female, and even with a testosterone suppressor for at least a year, he starts going number one, not at Penn State, sorry, I said at Penn State, at Penn, he starts performing as number one when he's playing with the girls. This is significant, and this is the truth of the matter, yet we are ignoring it, and the other bottom line is, is this is entering into the locker rooms. That is a realistic scenario. In Christian schools and Catholic schools where these policies and laws are ambiguous or people are just going for a free-for-all, the boys are showing up in the girls' locker rooms. Now, here's what's interesting. There are literally schools, even, for example, in the state of California, that are taking action. In fact, this dad wrote to me about two schools here in California, two Lutheran schools in his area, that actually have legal counsel on retainer specifically to address this issue because what they do as a school is they forfeit the match if there is going to be a boy playing on the girls' team. Why? They don't play because they're protecting their kids. But for not playing, they're being accused of being bigots. So that's just if they have the information or if they are face-to-face -face with the reality of boys entering into the girls' sports teams. The school's trying to shut down the game and protect girls because that's what this is all about. Now, we can talk about policy, laws, all of that needs to be worked on. But here's the bottom line. At the end of the day, and this is a Catholic take on it, this is the take it for parents. It's a parent's ro role to keep our kids safe. The Catholic Church teaches that parents are the primary educators of their children, and this includes what our kids are exposed to. We can't simply assume that people in authority, even people who are supposed to be in authority over children, have your child's best interest in mind and agree with you. In fact, they often disagree with you. Do you know? Do you know what their perspective is on this issue? That's how thoroughly we need to be vetting schools if your child's in school system, public, private, or Catholic, it doesn't matter. Now, here are some facts I think are important to look at. To date, to date the permissiveness that is occurring is significant due to our lack of legal policy in states, and also because there are some states, such as Michigan, Vermont, and California, who have passed constitutional amendments, even though the voters don't fully know that this is what they're pa passing. They just thought it was about abortion, but instead what's happening is they're implementing into the state constitutional amendment, giving people who are children's, who are not children's parents, note that, not children's parents, unfettered access to experiment on children in the name of gender with cross-sex hormones and bodily mutilation surgery, all under the guise of so-called therapeutic gender-affirming care. But again, it's people who aren't that child's parent who's being given unfettered access to experiment on children's bodies. So I think that on the positive side, we're right on the precipice of 
facing very serious legal waters. This has gone too far. There are some major cases of very young people, such as Chloe Cole, who's only about 19, 20 years old, transitioned starting around 12, 13, and she is in a lawsuit against Kaiser Permanente, along with two other young women who are also transitioned, starting medically around 12 or 13, and they have all detransitioned, but the medical impact to their bodies will be lifelong. And in fact, Chloe Cole has also shared her story here. She's identified as a detransitioner, someone who identified as transgender and detransitioned and is embracing her feminine biological identity and working on healing from what the medical and the psychological community has done to her. Now, I also see the positive of this is I think Title IX, although it's being weaponized in favor of the transgender movement, I think it's going to be used in the months and years to come to help protect women because this is a huge overstep of privacy and equal opportunity and safety in women's health when it comes to boys being in girls' locker rooms, boys competing against girls' sports, girls in sports, boys winning championships and knocking women off of the pedestal. And so I think that we are right at the point where we're going to see some really positive laws being implemented, even in the state of California. We recently had a win on the transgender front. So have hope be courageous, persevere. Laws are starting to change. Parents are protecting their kids and speaking up. And we have to continue to hold people accountable, especially people who have a role over children, pediatricians, therapists, school counselors, teachers know what they think, continue to check in with what they think because people's minds change. I actually saw this firsthand closer to, oh my goodness, about 13 years ago, even longer than that, in the crisis pregnancy centers. When I was working in the pregnancy resource centers, I remember in one of the centers, there was a counselor who was very pro-life and Catholic. She had been counseling girls in the counseling room for years. But this trend of transgenderism started many years ago. And we saw it firsthand with girls who were abortion-minded, who had been so sexually exploited, who had been so sexually promiscuous that they were already dabbling in sexual experimentation and some of this transgender craze. And we had no idea that while that was going on, we had one of our counselors in the counseling room at the Crisis Pregnancy Center who was actually okay with transitioning, was okay with transgender identity and same-sex interaction. And she was counseling minors even and young women in favor of this. And it was a real mess. This is when crisis pregnancy centers had to start implementing into their code of conduct and who they hired, uh, things and policies focused on what needed to be upheld in terms of a worldview to be a counselor and do the work there in the pregnancy resource centers. And I share that because that woman, her mindset changed. She was pro-life. She was Catholic. She was following what the church taught, but suddenly she had a family member a nephew who came out as transgender. And in an instant, she said, well, I love him. How can I hate him? But it wasn't a matter of hating him. It was a matter of telling the truth and coming alongside him. And I think that's what's so key. So we're going to come back in just a few minutes here. We're going to talk about the body, soul, unity of the human person, what the Catholic Church teaches, and an excellent new teaching document from the Catholic Church, actually from some of our bishops here in the state of California, helping us to understand who we are as human beings and how we can make sense of this of this transgender ideology. But first, November is right around the corner and it's the month of the holy souls in purgatory. They need our prayers because they can't pray for themselves. So pray for them with your nationwide community at Relevant Radio. The annual Relevant Radio Holy Souls Novena is November 2nd through 10th. 
Submit the names of your loved ones so we can lift them up in prayer together. Go to relevantradio.com slash souls. That's relevantradio.com slash souls. I need to do this tonight as well, so make sure you do. You'll receive the reflections from Father Rocky each day of the novena to help you enter more deeply into prayer. Encourage your family and friends to add their loved ones and join us throughout the day for our novena November 2nd through the 10th during daily Mass the live stream Divine Mercy Chaplet, and the Family Rosary across America on Relevant Radio. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending. We are looking at what the Catholic Church teaches about the body and soul because we're in the midst of this identity crisis and it's not just kids identifying as transgender. It's not just adults. It's everyone. We're at a point where we say, who am I? What am I? What do I believe in? What am I made for? This is why we've been working through this Theology of the Body series here on Trending. Now, a couple weeks ago, the San Francisco Archbishop Salvador Cordelioni and Oakland Bishop Michael Barber came out with a joint document called The Body and Soul Unity of the Human Person. It is excellent. I highly recommend you read it. You could read it in probably about 15 minutes or so. And it helps to solidify what the Catholic, for you, if you read it, what the Catholic Church has always taught on human sexuality, gender, marriage, and how this impacts a gender crisis. The document starts by Archbishop Cordelioni and Bishop Michael Barber acknowledging the influence of gender ideology and how it's become pervasive in contemporary society. You may, ha- you may have a friend, family member, colleague, meet someone at the laundromat, at the local coffee shop, your check or at the grocery store. I've had it happen in all of these scenarios time and time again, from living in in California to living in Michigan to traveling to Alabama to traveling to Mississippi. It is everywhere. The body, soul, unity of the human person, where the bishops say many of the faithful and those who serve in our ministries have raised questions about the complex and sensitive topic of gender. They wrote a letter to provide clarity and resources with regard to the teaching of the Catholic Church concerning the nature of the human person. It reads, gender ideology is in many important respects radically opposed to a sound understanding of human nature. They start by addressing the problem of gender ideology itself. Here are some of the key problems. It denies certain fundamental aspects of the human existence, such as male and female sexual differences, the reciprocal complementarity of man and woman, the essential unity of body and soul in the human person, It denies the anthropological basis of the family as founded on the biological differences between male and female. In other words, what they're saying is what the church teaches about the human person is that we are male or female. There's no in-between and no confusion. How we're created, male and female, complements one another. We're a unity of body and soul, so you can't be a man stuck in a woman's body or a woman stuck in a man's body. In addition to this, the anthropological basis of who we are as people is rooted in family, in the biological differences between men and women, and the generative dimension of the body, that is the ability to have children. The letter states that gender ideology is thus opposed to reason, it's opposed to science, and it's opposed to a Christian view of the human person. Because God is the creator of science. God is the creator of nature. 
Now, the church many, many years ago already rejected heresies having to do with dualism. That is the separation of body and soul. God doesn't make mistakes. You are one body and soul, not a man trapped in a woman's body, as Bruce Jenner claimed that he is when he first came out all those years ago in 2015. Boy, how the world changed almost in an instant, pushing the transgender ideology after his coming out celebration on national television. See, the body and soul, the document says, come into existence together in an individual human being at the time of conception. This is key. The body and soul come into existence together in an individual human being at the time of conception. We need to understand this body-soul unity. The document by Archbishop Cordelioni and Bishop Michael Barber says the body is an integral and indispensable aspect of what it means to be a human person. As it continues to go on, the bishops say being man or being woman is a reality which is good and willed by God. Do we really believe that? Not just if we're struggling with gender identity. Do we understand being a man or being a woman is a reality that is good and willed by God? But they also understand the challenges. They go on to say, consequently, one can never be said to be in the wrong body. For this reason, the Catechism of the Catholic Church actually explains man may not despise his bodily life. Rather, he is obliged to regard his body as good and to hold it in honor since God has created it and will raise it up on the last day. Do you see that part where the church has taught that we can't, as faithful Catholics, despise and hate our bodies? And I'm not just talking about if you struggle with transgenderism. All of us need to hear this. Things we hate about our bodies from weight to the way things are formed. We're called to embrace and love our body, honor it as God's creation. The creation which God will raise body and soul one day into heaven. The bishops go on to say the male and female sexual differences and complementarity are also essential to a Christian understanding of marital of the marital conjugal union, which is itself an image of Trinitarian communion. Eliminating this difference would diminish in man and woman part of what it means to bear God's image and likeness. So in other words, the bishops are pointing to the fact that God created us in his image and likeness. And the complementarity of the male and female body, the ability to have children, that is all of this centered in family life is in part one of the ways we are created in God's image and likeness. The ability to create, the fact that we're created in a communion of persons. Every person has a mom. Every person has a dad. The two come to together to create a new life and are called in se total self-giving, life-giving love to give of themselves in the raising of that child. This is part of what it means to live a Trinitarian life. And when we reject gender, when we reject the complementarity of male and female, when we reject the ability to have children, when we destroy the ability to have children with everything from transgenderism, sterilization, puberty blockers, abortion, we're actually rejecting God's creation. We're rejecting being made in God's image and likeness. This is what happens when we fall away from an anthropological view of the human person that's centered on God as creator and us as humble, dependent creatures upon God and his vision, his blueprint from the, for the body. So how do we approach the struggle of gender ideology in our culture? I think this is key, and this comes back to a question we had earlier on the show. I hope you'll pray for Adriana, her family member, and the young 
boy who's only 15 years old identifying as transgender. She asked an important question. If you missed it, I hope you will listen to this episode later because it's something we all need to be prepared to do. How do we approach it when someone we know and love is identifying as transgender? We actually walk through what to do, how she can come alongside her family member who's the mother of this young boy. But the document from Archbishop Cordelioni and Michael Barber, Bishop, Bar- Bishop Michael Barber, dive into this as well. How do we approach the struggle of gender ideology in our culture? It's in our own lives and family. The, the document says the church is called to do as Jesus did, to accompany in a spirit of solidarity those marginalized and suffering while affirming the beauty and truth of God's creation. Listen to this. Truth is the light that gives meaning and value to charity. Without truth, charity degenerates into sentimentality. Love becomes an empty shell. Did you hear that? If we are compassionate, if we are charitable, that requires that we are truthful. Otherwise, charity without truth isn't charity, but it's sentimentality. And as the bishop said, love becomes an empty shell. They go on to say, compassion does not include both truth and charity, is as a misplaced compassion. So I'll rephrase that. Compassion that does not include both truth and charity is a misplaced compassion. So if you're trying to be compassionate or empathetic, but you're not including both truth about the human person and the love of God, then that is not compassion. They say support for those experiencing gender dysphoria must be characterized by an active concern for genuine Christian charity and the truth about the human person. So recognize this difference because I think this is key. We all have loved ones who are doing things that we don't agree with, living adverse lifestyles. There's a total difference between loving someone and approving their behavior. A person and their behavior, we have to be able to separate as two things. Love the sinner, not the sin. Now, compassion is radically different from approval, and that's key to being able to navigate and love the church's teaching on gender ideology, but also love ourselves and those who are struggling with gender. Charity requires that we are honest. And so we are going to, with licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Esparro, touch on the elements of this wonderful letter from our California bishops on Thursday and talk about practically What do you do if you experience gender dysphoria? What does the church teach? What does it mean to be a person? I think this is something all of us need to hear. Even if we aren't struggling with gender dysphoria, all of us have moments of struggling with our identity as male and female, of embracing the complementarity of maleness and femaleness. So we'll go deep into the church's teaching on what it says about bodily modification with latest technologies and embracing the God-given gift of our body. Thanks for being with me today. We're praying and fasting for peace in Israel. Join us now in prayer on the Family Rosary across America. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Gentlemen's Hour Wednesday, we're going to talk about what women want from men. One of those things is his strength. We're not just talking about your ability to pump iron and move a couch. We're talking about strength of the entire person. Devin Schatt will join me Wednesday to discuss how a man's strength incorporates his character, morality, and faith. Join me Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.